For our scripture reading, let us again turn to Ephesians 6, and we'll read the first nine verses together. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And our text this morning is verse 4 of this scripture reading. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the teaching here is explicitly uh, directed to fathers, uh, but uh, it is for mothers also, and much of what is said here and will be explained this morning, though addressed specifically to fathers, I think mothers will also recognize how applicable it is to them. Uh, we've already read in verse 2, uh, that uh, verse 1 and 2, that children are to obey their parents not just their father, but also their mother, as verse 2 spells out. And we have many passages that assume the position and the responsibility of of wives and mothers with reference to their children, the godly widows described in 1 Timothy 5, among, among other things, are described as those who have brought up children. And in Titus chapter 2, uh, the older women are taught to... Uh, teach the younger women to love their children as well as to love their husbands and to be uh, managers of the home. So there is a lot of specific direction also uh, directly to wives and mothers. But our text this morning addresses fathers as having a special responsibility, having a special place of leadership, also in the nurture of their children. And it's important for fathers to to recognize that they do have a tremendous influence, a tremendous power over the lives of their children. And it's inescapable, it is inevitable, that they will exercise that power and influence. Uh, they will exercise it actively uh, by what they do, or they will exercise it passively by what they fail to do or do not do. They will exercise it uh, positively by their presence in the home among their children, or they will exercise it uh, as so often is done in a negative way, in a devastating way, by, by their absence from the home. So we want to take this exhortation with the utmost seriousness in our day And uh, hear it personally, it seems as if the very language of our 
text is uh, intentionally directed to arouse the attention of fathers when it says, and you, yes, you, fathers, like I'm speaking to you. The Lord so speaks to us in this passage uh, this morning. Realize that you have indeed tremendous opportunity. You have uh, tremendous responsibility uh, to do the Lord's work. To do the Lord's work in your daily life within your home. Uh, there are fathers among us who are recent fathers, young fathers of small children who need to be encouraged and motivated. You might say to get excited about the tremendous privilege and opportunity that they have to have such a formative, such a crucial role in shaping the lives of their little boys and girls. And it also may well be that there are older fathers among us who need to be recharged with uh, the sense of their uh, their calling and the importance of their attention uh, to the nurture of their children. In the midst of our busy lives, it's very easy to just forget about it, to fail to take it seriously and be very deliberate in uh, seeking to uh, heed this tremendous calling that God gives to us. Fathers, give your children the nurture of the Lord. That's our theme. And uh, the language really is taken from uh, the words of our text. It may not be communicated so clearly in the language of our translation uh, where it says, bring them up, bring them up. And, and we might hear that as, as a rather bland, obvious uh, way of putting things, but perhaps some of you remember that way back in verse 29, uh, when we considered the husband's responsibility to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in nourishing their wives, even as they nourish their own bodies, that word nourish is uh, a word that, that indicates bringing one up. Providing for them. It's actually the same word that's used here. In fact, some, some renderings of, uh, the Bible, some translations will actually use the word nourish. Fathers, nourish your children. And, uh, and that, that gives a special weight to this, this, this exhortation. Uh, the word could be rendered in various ways to, to rear them, to rear them tenderly. Calvin, uh, says, let them be fondly cherished. That's his uh, way of uh, um, describing the the gist of this language here. Now, to fondly cherish our children doesn't mean to pamper them as if there is to be no firmness or or no uh, nor discipline uh, in the home, but it it does mean that we're to give attentive care to the physical uh, well-being of children, to their emotional and uh, intellectual growth and well-being, as well as their spiritual nurture in the ways of the Lord. Yes, the ways of the Lord, according to the Lord's will, but also according to the Lord's ways, to follow the pattern of God's fatherly love and care for his children. And uh, our text begins with a negative uh, exhortation. It says, uh, do not provoke your children to wrath. Again, that's uh, 
a, a command that's been variously rendered in different translations. Do not exasperate your children or, or discourage them. To understand the significance of this, it's very important for, for fathers. We might say it's very important for men to be, to be aware. And, uh, you might say to beware, beware of the power that they have, the power that, that they exercise. Fathers have a lot of power in the home. Uh, they're typically the biggest person in the home with the loudest voice. They have economic power. They have physical strength and power. And that's, uh, almost, uh, inescapable and, and an inevitable part of what it means to be a man and a father in a household. And it's important to be mindful of that. Your children are aware of it. Your wife is aware of it. And it's important that we are aware of it and, uh, and recognize that that, that power is to be influenced or to be exercised, uh, with gentleness. Exercise your power with gentleness. Remember the context. This is, is, uh, also in line with what we had heard earlier in chapter five, where God's people are exhorted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then that is fleshed out in the very practical relationships of life in which the Holy Spirit's presence and power within us is to be evident in our character and in our relationships. And uh, the fruit of the Spirit, among other uh, characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ, involves gentleness, gentleness. And gentleness, we must understand, is not uh, to be associated uh, with with weakness. Something altogether uh, different. Um, it's true, isn't it, that that power is often associated with things like force. Uh, the word power might conjure up in our own mind machines or or uh things that happen that are that are loud and perhaps dangerous and uh though you have power and your children and your wives are aware of that power uh you don't need to show it certainly in that way that i've just described because that that only does harm in fact it is it is gentleness that that cushions that power that we inevitably possess and are uh, inclined to exert in a way that is not helpful. We may not even do it intentional. That's why I said we need to be aware of that power. Uh, sometimes people talk loudly and vehemently and aggressively uh, in a way that reflects a kind of insecurity. But it communicates aggressiveness. Sometimes it may be reflective of a kind of personality that just uh, tends toward uh, vehemence of expression. And uh, we might, in our own conscience, think, I- I- I'm not being aggressive or loud. I'm-, I'm-, I'm just communicating my deep feelings. And that may be the case. But we not only are accountable for our own, our own feelings and our own conscience, but uh, of the effects that our style has upon others. 
Something that I need to remind myself. Something that, that, uh, elders need to, to be aware of. As those who also, uh, exercise authority and, and power. And that power is to be cushioned by gentleness. That's why also in the qualifications for, for elders, gentleness is among those characteristics that are to be exhibited in the course of their work. Gentleness cushions that power. That's not weakness, but it, rather it makes it effective through a Christ-like strength that is displayed often in softness, a strength that is displayed in tenderness, in a nourishing style of caring for others. Paul actually uses this language with respect to his uh, his manner of uh, ministerial labor and the exercise of his apostolic authority in the churches when he says, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Yes, he had authority. He had power. The power of position. He was an apostle. The power of his ability and gifts. Tremendously talented. And yet he exercised that power with gentleness for the good of those to whom he ministered. Exercise your power with with gentleness. Gentleness cushions power. Gentleness, you might say, is controlled power. Exercise for good. And recognize also that there is a big difference between godly discipline and abuse. We're going to talk about discipline from our text. But uh, at this point, let's just consider the fact that godly discipline has a positive aim. And typically when fathers are are volatile and uh, harsh, perhaps uh, quick-tempered, almost invariably these are selfish reactions. They're not reactions to real wrongdoing with a response that desires to correct and direct and change, but often they're a response to things that just irritate, things that bother us, things that annoy or or anger us. And then we need to remember that, uh, as James says, that the wrath of man uh, does not promote the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In Lamentations chapter 3, we're given a, a wonderful description of our Heavenly Father's ways uh, with His with his children, where it says the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict willingly. Yes, our Heavenly Father uh, sometimes afflicts his children, but not as if he takes pleasure in it, not as if it's something that delights him, nor grieve the children of men to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth. To subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve of, uh, of such things. That is to be the model also of godly parents rather than, uh, a style or a discipline that is harsh or unfair or, uh, selfish. These things provoke, they exasperate children. Neglect is also something that, uh, discourages or provokes children. And abusive fathers are 
by, by definition, negligent fathers, whether present or absent. Abusive fathers often give attention to their children uh, largely only for negative reasons, to point out faults and to, to criticize. And if that is characteristic of our dealings with our children, yes, uh, it should be no surprise if they are discouraged, if they are provoked to despair, to resentment. They can never please Dad. It's never good enough. In contrast, again, that with our Heavenly Father, who despite our sinfulness and unworthiness, communicates acceptance, communicates approval in us. Yes, children need to learn to say, I'm sorry. Children need to learn to acknowledge their faults. But fathers also need to exercise uh, forgiveness and to communicate that forgiveness uh, in, a, in a lavish way, in a way that reassures, in a way that, that uh, demonstrates acceptance and love. Children need that so badly. One explanation for a lot of angry young men and a lot of vulnerable young women in our day is a lot of absent fathers, absent physically or absent uh, practically, emotionally. Fathers who pursue their own interests and don't give positive attention and, and love to their sons and daughters. According to Scripture, this is uh, clearly such an a, 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 a relevant point that in Colossians, which is kind of like a, a sister letter to the book of Ephesians, the, the, the positive thing that we're going to quickly move to discuss isn't even addressed at all. In fact, all we have is fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's all that it says. That implies that we need to hear that, uh, that warning that we do not exasperate our children in these ways and other ways, uh, could be mentioned. How important it is that we that we positively see our children, and we see them as precious, uh, immortal souls with their own uniqueness, with their own personalities, with their own uh, strengths, their own their own gifts, their own hopes, and their own fears. And we think about them, and we we see them, and we we talk to them. And that leads us to consider positively the exhortation of our text where we're told to lovingly correct them, to nurture them uh, with the Lord's discipline. Our, our, our text uses uh, the language, bring them up in the training, the training. And uh, yes, we'll see that if that involves instruction. But it's a word that is also translated in different ways in Scripture. And uh, one example of that is in the, the letter to the Hebrews where it is rendered with the word discipline. It says, uh, or they're chastening, right? Perhaps an old-fashioned word that really means the same thing. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Uh, whom the Lord loves, he He chastens. In, uh, in verse 9, it says, uh, we have had human fathers who corrected us. There, it's the same same word. Uh, they've corrected us. In fact, the American Standard uh, Version uh, actually renders this text in, in, in Ephesians, nurture them 
in the chastening of the Lord or nurture them in the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs uh, 13, verse uh, 24. It says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him uh, disciplines him promptly. Fathers who love their children uh, will spank them if and when necessary. Not for little faults, not a matter of lashing out in a temper, but it's a matter of correcting serious, serious problems like direct challenges to your authority, disrespect in an overt way, telling lies, showing cruelty. Those are serious things that ought to be uh, addressed in a way that communicates the seriousness of these things. They ought not to go unpunished. And we ought to be convinced that causing pain uh, in correcting children, whether by physical discipline or uh, other deprivations in terms of uh, grounding or other means that may be used, that uh, that's not in conflict with love. Right? Remember the, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ where he said, as many as I love, I rebuke. Yeah, that's a verbal, that's a verbal correction. And chasten, that involves discipline. Hebrews 12 verse, verse uh, 11 says, no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yes, sometimes spanking is necessary, but uh, it's also very important that we uh, understand that training or discipline is not only or primarily corrective. It's not primarily uh, punishment. And even if, uh, even if such correction is necessary, it must be combined with words. It must be combined with words that explain uh, things, explain why discipline is necessary, explain the goal of, uh, of such discipline. Again, to refer to the wisdom of Proverbs, it says the rod and reproof give, give wisdom. Not the rod alone, not reproof alone, but together they impart wisdom. Most parental correction involves speaking the truth, speaking the truth in love, and especially as children uh, get older. The Lord corrects and disciplines his people that way, doesn't he? Read through the prophets, so characteristic of God's dealings with his people is that again and again he explains uh, to them what they did, why his correction is necessary, and how to make it right. What is the goal? What is the response? The Lord Jesus uh, rebukes the, the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation and uh, calls them to remember from whence they have fallen and to repent, and to return. And then he follows that with promises. Yes, parents need to do that. And that's far different, isn't it, than, than simply uh, giving a smack or berating children with, uh, with name-calling. We ought to consider that as a, as, a, as a no-no. There's a difference, isn't it, isn't there, between pointing out real sins and saying you have sinned, or even saying, you know, you have acted wickedly. Or you've acted in a lazy way. There's a difference. There's a big difference between 
uh, that and the kind of name calling that says, you're wicked, you're lazy, you're good for nothing, you'll never amount to any kinds of anything. Those are the kinds of words that crush the spirits of children. Yes, children are to be lovingly corrected, and along with that, to be faithfully taught, faithfully teach them the admonition of the Lord. Right? That's how our text uh, speaks of this. Nurture them in the training or the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Here is a word that uh, really involves the, the matter of, of uh, to place in the mind, to communicate truth so that it might be uh, effectively placed in the mind of those whom we teach. And that's with a view to uh, the transformation of behavior. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the classic passage in Deuteronomy uh, chapter chapter 6, where it says, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, it's a descriptive of an of an ongoing uh, communication, talking to children in the course of ordinary uh, the ordinary activities of life. That's the beautiful pattern that's held out there, and th- this includes the use of others. You recall the form for baptism that involves not only instructing our children, but seeing that they are instructed. Uh, in the things of God, and that may well involve uh, Sunday school teachers and uh, Christian education teachers, but that's not uh, a substitute for our own involvement, as if we just stand by passively and then uh, let others take care. We are also to do it ourselves. And we need to be convinced that this doesn't require great teaching skills, that it's a matter of, of practical uh, communication. It's a matter of talking about what you know. It's a matter of uh, growing yourself in biblical knowledge and wisdom. It, it's interesting that in the book of uh, of Romans, in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 15, he speaks there to the congregation with confident, confidence that they are able also to admonish one another. He's confident that they have such a knowledge of God's word that they are able to to exercise this mutual kind of admonition of sharing the things that they know and believe in order to serve for for edification. It's not a matter of special gifts so much as a matter of an intentional effort and practice. Start young, get young children, make a point of spending time with them. It may be at the dinner table, it may be before bedtime. Uh, use good tools, use children's catechism books or Bible story books, uh, read to, read to them, talk about basics, uh, repeat things that you've already said many times, ask easy questions. Children learn to take pleasure in asking questions that they've learned and, uh, Let them hear it. Let them hear it from your mouth. They may have heard it from others. They may be learning things elsewhere, including mom, but let them also hear it from your mouth so that they know that it's 
something that you as fathers uh, care about deeply. In that sense, be sure that that this is valued as a top privilege and calling of your life. That doesn't mean that it's easy. Like, like I said, we need to be continually reminded of this calling. We need to pray about it. We need to pray to be godly men. If there's anything that's going to provoke children, right, to wrath, it's hypocrisy. And as children get older, they'll be able to recognize hypocrisy. They'll be able to recognize the conflict that may exist between what we say and profess to believe and how we live. And if anything's going to turn off children to uh, their fathers, or perhaps turn them off to the truth that they've heard from their father, turn them off to the church, to church authorities, turn them off to God. It's hypocrisy in our lives. So we need to pray also that that we are real, be real. You will make mistakes, right? I, I referred to Hebrews chapter 12, and there's this reference in comparison earthly fathers to our heavenly father, where it says that uh, we have had fathers who for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. That, that implies the limitations of their wisdom, the limitations of their uh, consistencies or abilities in contrast to the father of spirits whose uh, instruction and and correction is exactly suited to the reality of of how deeply he knows us, and it's always administered in love, and it's for our good. But it's contrast to the human weakness that attends our endeavors, uh, and we need to show the humility also of acknowledging faults in this area, and yet persevering, trusting God for his blessing upon upon his word, and upon uh, his grace that enables us to seek to be faithful to this calling. I realize this morning, I know it's Father's Day today, and I realize that for some, uh, this can be a painful topic. Maybe a painful topic for, for fathers who feel that as they look back upon their life, that they have failed miserably in this area. And uh, The promise and assurance of, of the gospel is that as we acknowledge our real failures, don't want to exaggerate them. Don't want to take the responsibility upon ourselves for the unbelief of children who have been taught the word of God and raised in his ways and blame ourselves in a, in a way that uh, is not right. But take responsibility for our real faults and confess them to God and believe in his forgiveness and mercy. And keep entrusting our wayward children into his gracious care and keep pleading his promises. There may be those who find this to be a painful subject because of uh, their fathers, who perhaps were harsh and abusive or absent. And uh, Father's Day is one of those annual days that uh, they do not look upon with favor because of what it conjures up in their own mind and memory about their dads. And uh, There are those among us that have that kind of pain and disappointment in their life. I can only direct you. Uh, to uh, your Father in heaven. You have a, a Heavenly Father who is perfect, and uh, He is able to uh, meet all your needs. And there is, there is healing, there is grace, there is help in our Father in heaven. And every earthly father is uh, only a, a weak comparison uh, to God. Whatever our situation might be, even those who perhaps have had uh, 
fathers that were poor examples, don't imagine for a minute that because that's the case, you're kind of doomed to repeat their mistakes and, and failures. You know, sometimes people will teach that. But no, God's grace is, is sufficient to enable us to heed, uh, this, this, uh, command of His Holy Word and rely upon Him for the help to seek to fulfill it, trusting in His mercy. Amen.